great to have you here with us. Now, what I'd like to talk to you about today, I'm going to start with a question. And I want to ask you, is there anything in your life that you would really like to conquer? Well, you can make a list if you like. <laughs> but is there something in your life that you feel I would really like to get the victory in? Because my talk today is entitled, How to Conquer. So I'm hoping that by the end of this morning, we will have some more ideas about what we can do to see God's purposes worked out in our lives in a, in a fuller way. And I know there are things as a church that we would like to conquer as well. We want to see a breakthrough in our city. We want to see more people rescued and saved and brought into God's kingdom. We want to see the book of Acts, those actions of the apostles being more real in our lives day by day. Amen? Well, I'm going to have a look at a story in the Bible in the Old Testament. But first of all, let me tell you, Oh, no, let's look at this then. Joshua. It's in the book of Joshua. And I'm going to pray first and then fill you in on a little bit of the background of the story before we actually open our Bibles. Father, I pray this morning that you would bring revelation to us. Lord, speak to our minds, but touch our hearts, Lord. We ask that this morning we wouldn't just be hearers, of the word, but we would be doers as well, Lord. We pray that your word would impact our lives, Lord. We pray your word would change us, Lord. We pray we would go out different to how we came in. So we ask you in Jesus' name to open our spiritual eyes this morning and minister to our hearts and lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the story that uh, we're about to look at takes place in the book of Joshua. And this is what's been happening so far. The Israelites are, are at a new phase in their journey with God. Uh, Moses has passed on, and Joshua is now leading them. And they've spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness, and they finally crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. They did what God said, and when the river was in flood, it, uh, as they stepped into it, it piled back out of the way so that they could cross the Jordan. Now, to put that into context, the Jordan River was in flood, and it didn't just part so that one or two people could kind of walk across in a sort of crocodile file. There were thousands of them crossing the river, and God did something absolutely supernatural. Imagine if you were stood... Um, you know, at the pier at North Shields, looking out onto the Tyne River, and suddenly the toll of the Tyne rolled back up as far as Newcastle in a great big heap of water, and that became dry land that, that you could walk across. Well, now double it, because it's about eight miles to uh, the coast, and the place where the water rolled back up to was 18 miles away from where they crossed the river. So that was a lot of water that God supernaturally moved out of the way for them. And they crossed over the Jordan, and uh, it was time now for them to conquer the land. And they didn't cross over into an empty land. There were enemies in that land that did not want them there that they had to conquer. But 
God was on their side. And they've already seen a tremendous victory at Jericho. You remember the entire fortified city was delivered into their hands. They marched around for seven days and the walls collapsed and in they went and took this city. They did what God said and they saw a tremendous victory. And the only instruction that God gave them at that time was that they must totally destroy the city. So I'll just start by reading those verses to you in Joshua 6. It's Joshua 6, 15 to 19. And this is what it says. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. I mean, imagine how silly you would have felt. But anyway, they did what God said. And the seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town, Jericho, and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring, bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. So that's what happens. They take Jericho. The city is destroyed. Rahab and her family are rescued. And they must have been feeling pretty confident at this point, I guess. They've seen the Jordan pile up. They've taken Jericho. Word is spreading around about what's happening and about these amazing warriors who have got God on their side. And there was fear coming into the hearts of the people in the land that they were about to take. Now, have you ever expected that something would go well for you and then it didn't turn out that way? Have you ever had that experience? Hands up if you were born in 1973. Anybody here born in 1973? Marie. Okay, well, there was a lady born in 1973 in England. It wasn't Marie. It was somebody else. She was born in Cheshire. And I'm going to see who guesses who I'm talking about first. But she was born in Cheshire. She had an unremarkable childhood. In fact, she suffered from quite bad asthma and asthmatic attacks. And she was also severely anemic as a child. She went to a local comprehensive school. Um, and when she was seven, her father gave up smoking to, in order to help her asthma. And he found when he gave up smoking that he put on a whole lot of weight. And so in order to deal with that problem, he took up running. Do you know who the girl is that I'm talking about yet? Anybody got any ideas? No? Okay, I'll keep talking. Put your hand up when you get me. So this girl began to run with her father, and she found herself competing. You're right. It's Paula Radcliffe. Now, Paula Radcliffe became a champion athlete in her field, and she still holds the title for the world record women's marathon runner. That is still her title, even though she has retired from professional athletes. But do you remember something else about her? She took part in four Olympic Games. She was there in Atlanta. She was there in Sydney. She was there in Beijing. Oh, Athens. I missed out Athens, sorry. She was there in Athens. She was there in Beijing. She took part in four Olympic Games, and she never won a medal 
in the Olympic Games. She just couldn't seem to conquer the Olympic Games. And in fact, her last chance to do that was in London 2012, and she had to withdraw due to injury before she ever got the chance to compete. So she uh, might well have expected to have conquered in those arenas, but she never actually won an Olympic medal. She had to go home without them. Sometimes how we expect things to go is not what actually happens. Now let's look at Joshua 2, Joshua chapter 7, sorry, verse 2 to 9. This is the next part in the story. And Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Bethaven. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads, and bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, "'Oh, sovereign Lord!' Why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you are going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we have been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies for when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe your name off from the face of the earth. Look what it says in verse 5. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear by this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Now, that's what happens to us when we are defeated by the enemy. We think we're going to conquer something for God, but instead it doesn't work out, and we're the ones that are conquered. And our confidence drains away, our courage melts, and fear paralyzes us. Do you know that? Have you ever had that experience? Our confidence can be lost and our courage can melt. We feel we can't go forward and we certainly don't want to have another go at whatever it was that didn't work out so well for us. Now, they only actually lost 36 men out of 3,000 warriors. So you might think that wasn't too terrible a defeat, but this is the effect it had on them. They were paralyzed with fear and their courage melted away, and they began to question everything that God had said to them. Now, if we read on, we will begin to get some perspective about what was happening as God saw it. So if we read from verse 10 in chapter 7, this is what God says. But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me, and they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now, Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Get up. Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. 
And it says, you w- Oh, Israel, you will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. Listen. God can't bless us if there's something in our lives that he has told us has to go. It may be obvious sin. It may be hidden sin. It may even be something that is okay for the person sitting next to you, but God has told you, you can't do that. But he can't bless us if we keep things in our lives that he doesn't want us to have. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. And the greater the call of God is on your life, the more things you will have to remove. I'm sorry to tell you that. (laughs) God wants you to have the most amazing, wonderful, blessed, astonishing life. But if there's a call on your life, there will be things that you can't do. In following that call, there'll be things that you will have to lay aside. And the greater the call, the more things you will have to lay down to pursue that call. Now, I believe there's a call on everybody's life. God is not limited. Say that to the person next to you. God is not limited. We are the ones who limit God. It's us who limit God. God is happy to use the educated, the uneducated. He's happy to use men. He's happy to use women. He's happy to use young. He's happy to use old. He's happy to use you from whatever nationality you come from. He's happy to use you whether you have money or you don't have money. God is not limited, but the sovereign, all-powerful creator of the universe who sits on the throne, who made all things, who knows all things, who's in charge of all things, who's sovereign above this whole earth, is limited as to what he can do in your life, and you are the one that limits him. He's searching the earth, looking for those whose hearts are truly and wholeheartedly his. He's limited by how much room we will give him. He's limited by how much we will surrender to him. He's limited by how much sin we tolerate in our lives. He's not limited by himself, but we limit God. Dare we say that to each other? God is not limited, but we limit God. God is not limited, but we limit God. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. Now, you can read the whole story when we get home. I'm picking out some edited highlights here for you from this chapter. But if you are familiar with it, you will know that a guy called Achan had deliberately disobeyed what God said about Jericho and destroying all of it and not taking any of it, and he had taken some things for himself. And by a process of God pointing out down through the tribes who was responsible for this defeat that they had suffered, Achan was singled out in Joshua chapter 7, and he confesses his sin. God said, take no plunder from Jericho, totally destroy it. But he has taken a beautiful robe that caught his eye from Babylon. He has taken 200 silver coins and a bar of gold, 
weighing more than a pound. Joshua 7, 20 to 24, we could just read that. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, and that would have been all embroidered and heavy. 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They're hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. So Joshua sent some men to make a search. They ran to the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. I want to point out just five brief things about Achan that we can learn from this story that's recorded for us here in the book of Joshua. Number one, his sin was a deliberate action. He did this deliberately. God said, don't, and he did. He chose to do that. Now, over the years that I, I guess, have been involved in a pastoral ministry, I've talked to a lot of people about their problems, inevitably. And uh, I have to say that when people come and talk to you about problems they're in, if you ask them, what does the Bible say about this situation that you are in, they usually know that they've messed up, but they justify their actions. So they'll, they'll make an exception for themselves. I, I know that's what it says, but this is what I did. Or uh, it was only, mm, I, I didn't think it would really matter. If you make yourself an exception to the word of God, you're on dangerous ground. If you make out you're the only person that this doesn't apply to, and you're a special case, watch out. Don't ever make a deliberate decision that this book applies to everybody but you. Let's not excuse ourselves from sin. Now, I'm sorry, this is one of those words that I'm, I, 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 feel it, I, I feel so serious about it. I'm not telling you any really funny stories and jokes here this morning, but listen, can you bear with me and hear, hear what I feel God's saying to us this morning? Don't make an exception for yourself. This is a great handbook for life. And if we want to conquer, we need to live by this handbook and do what it says. Why, why do we justify sin in our lives? Why, why do we kind of make exceptions for ourselves and think it doesn't apply to us? I guess, I think, it's because we want to keep on doing it. So we say, well, that doesn't really apply to me so that we can carry on what e doing whatever it is that we know we really oughtn't to be doing. I will stop tomorrow. I will stop after just one more time. I didn't really mean to, or I will stop on Monday, because you know Monday is always the very best day to sort of start any new regime in life, isn't it? <laughs> it's just that there's only one Monday in a week, unfortunately. <laughs> there's six other days to think about. But Achan made an exception for himself. Surely, just these few things can't possibly matter. 
Now, those few things did not just slip into his pocket. They would have been bulky and heavy, and he made a deliberate decision to sin at this point. And here's the sad thing. That's what we do, too. However we justify it, we choose to sin. We make a deliberate decision to do something that we know God does not want us to do. So that's the first thing. His sin was a deliberate action. The second thing is this. His sin was born out of a wrong desire. That's where it started. Verse 21, I wanted them so much that I took them. James 1 Uh, verse 14 to 15 says, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, I could preach a whole other sermon on just that verse to be truthful. You think of Eve in the Garden of Eden who had a desire for something that God told her he didn't want her to have, and she pursued that desire, and it led to death. And I could pick out other people for you in Scripture, but that's how this thing works. Desire rolls away with itself and ends up in sin. Achan wanted something that he shouldn't, have desired, and it led to a sinful action, and he fed that desire and sin in his life. Now, think about this. It tells us quite um, specifically that he took 200 silver coins. Now, do you think that in the heat of the kind of destroying Jericho when they're running through the city and it's on fire and they're killing everybody, that he sat down and counted those 200 silver coins? (laughs) He just grabbed them and ran, but when he got back to his tent... When he could have said, oh, crumbs, uh, now I can see I've really done something wrong here and I better uh, confess quickly, he shut the tent and counted what he had taken and knew that he had 200 coins in front of him in silver coins. And then he knew he shouldn't have them and he buried them in the ground under his tents. But he fed that desire. He He gave those coins his attention and time. He knew he shouldn't have them, but he fed the desire that he had given into even more. And that's what happens as we feed a desire, the sin can grow worse. And the sin did grow worse as he made that decision to then not only take what he shouldn't have had, but to conceal it. We can't afford to feed the wrong desires in our life if we want to conquer What we feed in our lives is what flourishes and grows. What you feed grows. So if you have a wrong desire and you give into it and you feed it, it, w- it, it won't be satisfied with the fact that you gave into it. It will become stronger in your life and you'll want to give in even more the next time. Promise, that's how it works. Achan's desire for the wrong things was so strong that he was prepared to sin in order to have them. So first of all, his sin was deliberate. Second, it was uh, 
came out of a wrong desire. And the third thing I want you to notice is that his life looked all good on the surface. If you went to his tent for a cup of tea, it probably looked lovely. It probably was all set out just so. In fact, it was probably extra lovely because he probably put a nice rug over that kind of freshly dug patch of desert or whatever that was on the ground because he wouldn't want you to see that he'd been digging, so he would have covered it with a rug. Maybe he even put a sofa on top of the rug and sat on it the whole time you were there, so there'd be no chance whatsoever of you noticing that something was amiss in his life, and he looked all very together in his tent with his rug and sofa and his cup of tea for you. He looked good on the surface, but all the time... There was sin in his life. And we can look good on the surface. Here's how it can sometimes work. We come to Christ as new Christians, and we are overwhelmed with his love for us. We are just overwhelmed. We, we can't think of what life was like before we knew him. Everything looks better. Everything looks brighter. The grass is greener. The sky is bluer. Everything is wonderful and we, we begin to deal with some things in our lives, and we put some things in order, but then we settle a little bit. You know how it is when you're first saved, you come to church, and it's like every sermon is speaking poof, into your heart. You think, how did they know that about me? It's like everything is kind of coming to you, and you're raking it toward you, and you're letting God touch your heart, but then we can settle. We can get a little bit dull of hearing and we start to pitch things instead so where it was such a relief to be told that we needed to sort things out in our lives and we were so happy to be getting rid of the weight and be feeling so free set free in him now we just sort of settled a little bit and instead of raking the word of god to our own lives we kind of pitch it over our shoulder and we sitting there listening and we think oh ha ha i know steve foreman is behind me and i'm sure this is really where he, oh there he is i'm sure this is really speaking to him and isn't it a shame that so and so isn't in the meeting today because i know they should have really heard that word <laughs> it still looks good most of the time you know most of us tidy up our house if we think we're going to have visitors don't we you know, that's just life. But if we get blunt and we settle and we have to move the sofa to cover things up when someone's coming to visit our lives, then we should think about that. Let me ask you, is there something or anything in your life right now that you would be embarrassed for someone else to find out about you? Is there anything in your life that if we could sort of get a machine and link you up to the computer at the back and that thing in your life appeared on the screen here before all of us that you would really not want that to happen? So his life looked good on the surface, but there were problems underneath. Now, please, I am, I am, this is a solemn word, but I am not saying it to condemn you. I am saying it because our God wants us to conquer. Our God wants us to have a victorious life. Our God wants us to live life proper, 
properly, like we're supposed to live life, like we were made to live life. And he knows that he has paid the price for all that hidden junk in our lives to be dealt with, all that sin to be cleansed out of us so that we can live the life we were meant to live. We're the ones that lose if we dig a hole under our tent and bury things in it instead of dealing with them. And the fourth thing I want to point out is that he couldn't actually enjoy the things he'd taken. He took that silver, he took the gold, he took a beautiful robe that had caught his eye, and then, because he knows he shouldn't have them, he has to bury them under the tent. He can't even enjoy what he has taken illegally. When they went to fight against Ai, you'll notice they just sent up 3,000 men to take part in that battle. Now, do you think Achan was in that group? He should have been. He, it tells us he had a son and a daughter. He was a man of fighting age. And maybe they asked for volunteers, and you would have wanted to think he could, would be in that group volunteering to go and fight a battle. But actually, he's sitting in his tent on top of the things he's buried and hoping no one is going to pull back the rope. He's probably got the flap shut down. The tent is in darkness. And there's this secret part of his life that he can't even share with his friends. It is impossible. I, I'm telling you something you know, but listen up. It is impossible to truly enjoy something that you know is wrong. It is impossible to truly enjoy something that you know God is not blessing in your life. Whatever it is, whether it's that obvious sin, hidden sin, or things that you just know God has told you, you can't do because he's calling you to a higher standard in him. Maybe you look at things online that you shouldn't look at. Maybe you steal from your employer and fiddle your mileage. I don't know. Maybe you have a terrible temper and you swear at work where no one knows that you're a Christian. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Let me just give you some statistics on one of those because I think this is a super problem that nobody likes to talk about. And that's porn addiction. It's not a new problem in our world, but listen, it's much, much easier today than it ever has been to fall into sin in that area. And I'm going to give you some statistics here that I read. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women look at porn at least once a month. And actually... 91% of fundamental Christians who really believe the Bible and are on fire for God. No, sorry, I got that wrong. Let me say that right. Fundamentalist Christians, which is us, because we believe the Bible and the Word of God, we are 91% more likely to be engaged in that kind of behavior than people in traditional churches. What's that about? I didn't say 90... I, I want to... You heard me right there, didn't you? We are more likely to fall in that area than people in more seemingly traditional churches. 70% of men have some material on their mobile phone that they would rather keep buried under the tent and not have anyone see. 
Every second, 30,000 people make a search online for some pornographic material. And actually, in the world, America is the worst. Britain is the second worst nation in the whole world for that problem. Out of all of Europe, we are the worst. And in just, you know, I'm not trying to give you gory details. I'm saying let's wake up because the average age at which somebody first looks at something they shouldn't online is 11 years old. So if you think you don't need to talk to your kids about this, then you do. This is a serious problem in our nation. And I've just, I could talk about the other things I mentioned in, in the list, but I just wanted to focus on that one to say, listen, I know it's a problem and I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I want us to be free. And you won't be the only person in the room if that's a problem for you. But we can never be truly happy as Christians with hidden sin in our lives. And of course, the silly, silly thing is that God sees it all anyway. He knows your thoughts before you even put them on your mouth. He knows everything about you. Nothing is hidden from him. So his sin was deliberate. It came out of a wrong desire. His life looked good on the surface. He couldn't enjoy the things he'd taken. And finally, my last point is that eventually his hidden sin destroyed him. And if you read the story, you will know that Achan actually paid with his life. This is serious. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but God's gift to us is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, your heart, my heart, might still be beating in our chest, and we might still be breathing with our lungs, but we can still be dying inside. <laughs> we cannot be growing in our Christian walk. We cannot be fruit. We may not be being fruitful. We may have lost our joy. Psalm 19, verse 13 says, Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. That's David calling out to God. Don't let me keep falling into deliberate sin because it controls me. Don't let it control me. Repeated deliberate sin controls us. It messes us up. It brings guilt, shame, accusation, condemnation. You know, you know, come on, just as you're about to step up and do something for God, you think you've got a prophecy or you're going to witness to somebody, a little voice goes off in your head, aha, how can you do that, you hypocrite? How can you say that? What about this? If they knew that about you, and before you know it, you're just like the Israelite army was after AI, paralyzed, and your courage has gone for whatever it was that you were going to do for the Lord. God brings genuine conviction so that we can put things right. The enemy will bring you shame and condemnation and guilt. And sin always stops us from being who we should be in God because it stops us from living the book of Acts. It stops us from living the life that Jesus came to give us. It robs us of that abundant life. Now, there is some good news. Oh, thank goodness. 
there is some good news. And the good news is that when the sin was removed from the camp, everything changed for them. Joshua 8.1 says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men and attack Ai again. For I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. You will destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time, you can keep the plunder and livestock for yourself. How about that? If Achan had only waited, he would have received a great blessing from God that came from God's own hand to his life with blessing upon blessing, and there would have been no sin involved in it because God would have been giving it to him. And it's the same for us. If we will put aside our wrong desires and follow God and love him and surrender to him, he will bless your life you will find that you can conquer. And you will find that as you conquer, blessings come to your life. If Achan had only been obedient and waited, he would have had something so much better. And that would have brought him real joy and satisfaction. Who knows that when God gives you something, there's real joy in it. And you can really feel that satisfaction in your heart. God isn't out to deprive you. He wants to bless you. But we'll never experience all that he created us for unless we do it his way. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now that is the really sticking one, isn't it, sometimes? We don't mind getting down by the side of our bed and confessing our sins to God who knows anyway. But James tells us, confess your sins to one another. Now, why is that? It's not because we have some purian interest in other people's lives, but sometimes it's really hard to get free of something on your own. And if you uh, speak to your leaders or pastors and you actually ask them to pray with you, that weight can roll away and you actually feel a release from that thing that's been condemning you for so long that you don't sometimes get just on your own. Do, do you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying I'm not trying to pretend that leaders are some sort of priest that absolves you. Can, can, are you connecting and really getting that? I'm not making that point, but I am saying that just sometimes things are burdening us so much that we need someone else to say it's okay. God has heard your repentance. So if you've prayed and prayed, but you still don't feel forgiven on something, then swallow your pride and get someone to pray with you. And the added benefit of that is that they can help you to be accountable in the future. Because to repent means to turn around, to go in the opposite direction, not to keep going back in the same direction that you were going in. It's turning around and fleeing from that thing that got you into a prob problem. It's putting away that wrong desire. And God has so much more for us all, I believe. If we humble ourselves and we care more about being right with God than about our reputation, if you bring sin into the light, it loses its grip on us and we will be able to conquer. 
and our two final things, really. When I was, um, oh, I was about 19, I guess, and I was uh, uh, maybe a little bit older than that, but I was a nurse anyway. I was nursing down in Oxford, and I looked after a lady called Margaret. It wasn't this Margaret, because you're up here in Newcastle, but down in Oxford, I looked after a lady called Margaret. And Margaret was paralyzed from the neck down. She had lost the use of her body in an accident, and if I tell you who her husband uh, was, you will know who I was nursing because he was a very prominent conservative member of parliament called Norman Tebbit. And um, Margaret Tebbit was paralyzed because she was injured in a bomb attack by the IRA on the Grand Hotel in Brighton during one of the Conservative Party conferences. And when everyone was asleep in their bed, a bomb exploded in that hotel and brought down the whole front of the building uh, several stories collapsed. Many people lost their lives, and she was paralyzed in that attack. And uh, I nursed her as she was recovering from that. But that bomb, we've told this story before, I'm sure, but that bomb was hidden behind a panel in a bathroom for many, many months before that conference. Somebody deliberately put that there months ahead, and it lay there dormant all that time until it would have the most devastating effect when it was exploded. And they didn't find it when they swept the hotel. It, it had been there, you know, they, they came two weeks before or whatever to check it all out. It had been there for months. And then at the right time, it was detonated. And that's how sin can be in our lives. I had a dream a couple of days ago, and then I'm, I'm going to tell you this dream, and then I'm going to hand over to Clive. I had a dream, and I was in a big room. It was very, very light lots of glass, and I realized that it was actually an airport waiting sort of area. I was in this airport waiting uh, area, ready to get on a plane. For some reason, I was sitting on the floor, and I was sitting on the floor because all the seats were full. It was a really packed waiting area, and the waiting area was packed with lots of you that I can recognize this morning. We were there sitting, waiting for an airplane, and we were all a bit kind of irritable because this plane had been delayed. I remember you saying, oh, Anna Rosa really needs to sleep. And, <laughs> and uh, we couldn't get on the plane. And the official came out and made an announcement. And, and uh, he said, we've got to take all the luggage off again because we've had uh, a tip-off that there's some explosive device on this flight. And somebody said, oh, this is the third time they've taken all the luggage off this plane. You know, surely uh, we don't have to look again for, they, for what they think has been reported. But we did. We had to take all the luggage off a third time, and it had to all be gone through again to find this uh, explosive device. Listen, would you get on a plane and fly if you thought there was something on it that shouldn't be? I would rather they went through the luggage ten times. Do not fly with a bomb in your life. <laughs> Because you won't conquer. Now, things are a bit different today both in the meeting and in the week. We cancelled some things we were going to do this week because we were going to fly our airplane. But we had a message, there's a bomb in a suitcase. In other words, we had a prophetic word this week. 
And this prophetic word was so profound, I'm going to read it to you in a moment, but it was so profound we felt we could not go on as we are. We could not take to doing our mission in the park or the beach or anywhere else because the Holy Spirit, who is the senior pastor of this church, you might think I am, but I am not. I am just a helper here. God is the one who runs things. And he gets his way. And we felt we had to respond to him over this word and change everything for the sake of finding those bombs, for the sake of listening to his voice, for the sake of doing things his way. Because that could have been our AI otherwise to go out in the parks. But we're not going out to AI. We're going to do some digging in the floors of our tents. This is what the prophetic word was that came to us. There needs to be a great clearing out in your lives, a great purging and removal of sin. Removal vans taking away sin and debauchery. That means gross sexual misconduct of every kind. Sinful goods and wares. The hardware of infidelity. My people unfaithful and in affairs. Without me in the midst, you can do nothing. Practice my presence. Take me into every place you go, not one foot in one camp and one in the other. Do not be lukewarm, my children. You are neither hot nor cold. I am calling you out of sin and infidelity, out of the land of Canaan and into the promised land. The time is coming. The time is short. This is urgent, an emergency. I am calling out with great urgency. Hear my fatherly warning. Make bold steps. Shake yourselves before you are shaken. Rise up and be ready, says the Lord. Something urgent is coming. A great battle, and yet you are sleeping. Awake. You are not called to be the rear, but the vanguard, the protectors, the sharp edge, the two-edged sword in your mouths, the pioneers, the cut and thrust. Be on guard. Could you not watch and pray for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Listen to my voice carefully. Write down what I say to you and do it. Do not delay. The future of your nation hangs in the balance. You must fight for it. Marriages are on the verge of collapse. Pray that sin is revealed before it's too late. Take heart, my children. There is light ahead, a new kind of living, real life, real breakthrough, real vision, real faith, real prosperity, real multiplication, the real deal. All that I died to apprehend for you is at your disposal. So stop using blunt instruments, weapons, and words. Sharpen up. Get in gear. Get ready. I am on the move. Change is coming. Change in people. Changing roles. See, I will do this quickly without apology. I am on the move by my spirit. Be awake. Be listening. Don't delay. Make the changes. Now, in a moment, I'm going to give you a copy of this word so that you can read it, so that you can take it home, and we're going to suggest some responses we can make to this word. 
But this came to me a few days ago by email. It came from Andy Charlton, who's one of our leadership team here. And the last time Andy had a dream and a word like this, it came exactly true as he said. And it was a warning, and we weren't quick enough on it, and our whole situation blew up as a result of it. Now, we don't want to make that mistake again. So we are going to be very, very clear this time that we're following the word of the Lord as soon as we get it. There is a sense of urgency in this word. As you read it, you will get the sense, I think, that something may be about to happen in the nation. And as a result, God is warning us now to get in shape now, to get sorted out now, ahead of whatever is going to happen in the nation and possibly in the world. Now, I don't know what that is. It's just a sense that's there. And when you get it for yourself, read it and see what you feel. But it certainly says to me, there's more than just us in here. There's the nation that's at stake and something possibly is about to happen. A battle is coming and we are not awake enough. Sin has caught us and we are asleep. Now, last week I spoke to you about soldiers uh, coming for the battle and we were to be the canny ones. Is that right? We were to turn up Geordie style with the leaders and be canny about it. Well, and I said to you at the end as you stood up to respond, we will disciple you. If you sign up for this, we will disciple you. And this is how it works. This week we sat down with our team of leaders and we went through this word phrase by phrase. And we talked about it and we discussed it. And we feel together, we've weighed this. This is a true word from the Holy Spirit to us. This is God speaking to us. We didn't feel there were any phrases that we need to modify or take out. We felt this is 100% what we should be listening to and hearing us from the Lord. And then I held your leaders to account. And I went around the room and I said, how is your marriage? Are you about to collapse in your marriage? How is your marriage? And everyone in the room, including me, had to give account to everybody else of how our marriage is. Now, I told you we would ask the awful questions. Well, we started, but it's God who's asking us the questions through this prophetic word. And then we went round the room. There's a phrase in here uh, that talks about the hardware of infidelity. And I think together we, we felt that phrase was referring to what Sally was just preaching about. Are we in trouble with the internet. And I asked every man in the team, are you in trouble with the internet? And there's more than one way to be in trouble with the internet. There is internet pornography. There is also internet time wasting. Uh, two weeks ago, I looked at the internet report for one of the guys in the church. Now, some people send me a printout that they cannot alter from their computer of what they're looking at. And I found nine hours on social media and I said to that person, that's more than a day's work. It's harmless. It's time-wasting. Where would your walk with God be if you spent that time in the Word of God instead of idling away your time on social media? Now, this is serious stuff. That is infidelity just as much as looking at pornography. It's a different sort and of a different order. But nevertheless, it takes us away from the Lord. So I went around the room again, and I asked them, are you in trouble with the Internet? Is there stuff you're wasting your time on? And we held each other to account. And I had to give account of my life as well. And I have to say, the guys were honest in front of each other. And I salute them for their honesty and their frankness. If there was nothing there, they could clearly say. If there was a little something there, they could clearly say, and so on. Now, this week, 
A verse has been on my mind since we've done this. It's from Isaiah 55, verse 6. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the uh, wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his path and let him return to the Lord and unto his God. And even this morning in the prayer meeting, we had a similar word from Joel about seeking the Lord and uh, going hard after him. So I'd like to ask the cell leaders to stand up here, please. Where's all the cell leaders? Stand up here. Now, if you are not in a cell, you are going to miss out on this. If you go infrequently to a cell, you are going to miss out on this. Some training and discipleship is going to take place this week. Now, in front of all these people here, I charge you with this charge. Ask the questions that I'm going to read out in a minute of everyone in your cell this week. Be diligent. Do not miss a single person. Phone them, email them, meet with them, follow them up, and ask these questions. And if the people tell you they are clear and they are not, then they're burying things under the floor of their tent, and the Lord will hold them to account. You are innocent of their outcome. But if you do not ask them, then let their guilt also be shared on your shoulders and on mine as the leader of this church. This is serious stuff. And I charge you today to be diligent and follow everyone up. If people haven't been for a few weeks, get on the phone to them. If they're on holiday, get on the phone to them. I have been phoning abroad to other people to follow them up this week because I've known about this. I've not even waited till today. I've been on the phone to different parts of the world in order to read this prophecy out and to say, how are you with this? Okay, you can sit down, please. Thank you, cell leaders. Now, in your cells, these guys are going to be asking you, and here's the questions. Does this prophecy speak to me? We're asking you first to examine your own life. Don't wait for your leader to say, I think there's a problem in your life. Does this prophecy speak to me? Do you know, I shared this with somebody yesterday who's not in this country, and within 30 minutes I had a text back saying, I need to talk to you. God is speaking to me. God bless that person. Now, here's another question that we can ask ourselves when you get this in a moment. Am I in infidelity to the Lord? Now, I want to ask our cell leaders to ask every married person in this church, how is your marriage? Are you in trouble? It says here marriages are about to collapse. It says here there is infidelity. And when I checked with Andy, who gave us this prophecy, he said, well, obviously it's spiritual infidelity, but I felt in some cases it's, it's literal as well. Some of you either listening to this message through the Internet or here in this hall today, you are on the verge of infidelity or you're already in it. Some of you, your marriages are in trouble. Don't delay. Now is the time to get right with God and rescue those marriages before it's too late. This is serious stuff. Otherwise, you are going to be found like Achan by the Lord. And we're all getting on this plane together. And it doesn't matter whose suitcase the bomb is in, we're all on the same airplane. We've all got the same wings and the same engines. And if it's one person's suitcase that takes the plane down, everybody goes down. So we cannot go on until God 
has gone through and done what he needs to do to sort us out. So all marriages are going to be asked. And listen, we may not take the first answer you give us if we don't believe it. Now, we're not going to disbelieve you. You've got to be responsible. But we are going to ask. And cell leaders, you're to ask all the men, especially in your cell, but all the women as well, are you in trouble with the internet? Time-wasting? Have you got a secret love that you're communicating with on the internet that's gone nowhere, but actually is already sowing a discord in your heart with your present marriage relationship? Women may not look at pornography, but they may find a soulmate that is an illicit and illegal soulmate on the internet. And so can men, by the way. Men especially, are you in trouble looking at pornography on the internet? If you are, don't sit on it under your tent anymore. Now is the time to confess. I get every, every week and every month on my iPad, I get reports from several of the men in the church who wish to hold themselves accountable for what they look at in the internet. Every computer in this building is monitored. Every letter that's put into the keyboard is reported to the church leaders and to me every week. We keep a guard and a watch on our lives because you cannot take chances with this. You have to not trust yourself. And this is so serious. The word that was used at the beginning of this message is the word debauchery. Now, that's not a word that Andy would normally, it's an old-fashioned word, but it means gross sexual sin and immorality. It doesn't get any worse than that. And the Lord is saying, effectively, that's what some of our lives are like, either in our heads or in our hearts or in our viewing habits or in our actions. It also talks, by the way, about um, sinful goods and wares. Some of us need to go home and throw out books and DVDs and CDs and stuff that's on our shelves. There is things in our house that are not right and glorifying to God. And if you bring those things into your house, you will bring a spiritual curse on your marriage and on your life. I worked with an evangelist in, one of, in Northern Ireland. One of his churches worked like this. The man brought home stuff from the East, statues of Buddha. And he had them on the shelf as trophies because he was out there with the army. And the wife was unhappy about them, and she threw them all in the dustbin one day. And as the man walked in from work, the dustbin men had come late that day, and they picked up, in those days, it was the old metal bin, you picked them up. Probably don't remember those many of you, but anyway, they picked the bin up and carried it. And as the bin man carried the bin down the, down the garden path, the husband, whose stuff it was, crossed over with him like that. And the moment they crossed, the hair on the back of his neck went up. And it's like this electricity went through him. So what's happening? He had like this spiritual encounter with God as those things were being removed. Stuff in our houses can bring in a curse from the enemy and open us up to weakness in the face of temptation and sin. So all of that stuff, and by the way, the internet can also lead you into overspending and shopping where you shouldn't. There's a whole lot of stuff out there. Are you in trouble with the internet? That is the question you're going to be asked this week. Now, if you don't like those questions, I'm really sorry, but that's what you stood up for and signed up for last week, and I didn't even know you were going to get these questions, so we did it in all good faith. But this is what you get. God is real. He watches out for us. Now, how are we going to respond? Well, in a moment, I'm going to give you a copy of this um, prophetic word to look at, to think about, and take away. And this is what I'd like to suggest you do with it. We as a leadership team heard in this prophetic word, could you not watch and pray for one hour? That's what Jesus said to the disciples in the garden when sin 
when temptation, when the power of the enemy was at its most intense. Now, here's the funny thing, or the strange thing. The very thing we need to do to stop us falling into temptation and sin is the very thing the enemy tries to stop us doing, which is to watch and pray for an hour. There is something about watching and praying for an hour that stops us falling into sin and temptation, according to what Jesus said there. So, we as leaders are praying already one hour a day, and we're in pairs to be accountable with each other. Have you done your hour today? And if you can't do an hour all at once, do two 30 minutes or three 20 minutes, however it works out for you. But do that hour a day, because it's that hour that Jesus says is the antidote to the very thing the enemy wants to put upon us, covering up more sin, not dealing with these things in our lives. And you can be organized by your cell leaders to pair up with somebody. I have got people in different parts of the world pairing up at the moment in order to get this followed up on quickly. Cell leaders, follow this up in cells. Organize people. Don't wait till your cell meeting. Be on the phone. Be on uh, your, however you contact each other in order to um, make this work out so that when we're praying, we are connected with somebody else. This is, have you done your prayer today? Yes, I've done my prayer today. Let me suggest to you how you pray. This is what I've been doing. This is what the Lord has put on my heart. First of all, for the first few minutes of the hour prayer, I come to the Lord and I pray the blood of Jesus of my own life. And I pray along these lines, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. That's what the guy in uh, the Bible says who's there with the Pharisee in the temple. He's the tax collector. And he doesn't just say, have mercy on me, a sinner. He has, says, have mercy on me, the sinner. That puts you at the bottom of the bottom, so you're not above anybody else. And that man went home justified. And I pray through the, the way Jesus shed his blood for us and the things the New Testament says about the blood of Jesus. So I pray for about 10, 10 or so minutes on that, maybe a little bit more. Then I pray and I worship. I felt the Lord say to me, worship at that point. After you've confessed your sin in every way you know, apply the blood of Jesus to your life, then I worship the Lord. I just spend... 10 or 15 minutes telling God how marvelous and how wonderful, how great, how holy, how awesome he is. This is purely for him. It's for me to acknowledge the wonder and greatness and the goodness of my creating God. And then for the next sort of 30 or 40 minutes, so that gets me through in about 20 or so minutes, 25 minutes, all of that. And then for the next 35, 40 minutes, I pray through this prophetic word, phrase by phrase, line by line, where it says specifically something to pray for, like pray for sin to be revealed. Well, then I pray for it to be revealed in my own life and in the church. Now, I have to say to you, we pastors have a secret weapon, and I'm going to tell you what it is, and it's no longer going to be a secret. But today is the day to let you know a, a tool of the trade which you only find out when you're a pastor. It's called the pastor's prayer. And this is how it works. If we go to somebody and they say, oh, no, everything's fine, and we think it isn't, we're not rude to you. We don't force it on you. We just say, Lord, reveal sin. Now, this guy in my last church, he was adamant. There was no problem with his child. Everybody else said, your child hits my child in the crash. I've never seen it. It's not a problem. He's fine. He's a good boy. So with one of the elders of the church, I go to his house, and we prayed in the car, Lord, reveal this problem to him. We walked in his back garden gate, and he saw us coming, and he opened the door, and the boy in question jumped down the step, ran over to the garden fence, and in front of us, he thumped the neighbor's child in the face, over the fence. And he said, what have you come to see me about? I said, that. 
God revealed it and he couldn't deny it. I felt sorry for the boy next door, but I'm sure the Lord healed him really. <laughs> but I was glad for our sakes. Now listen, if, the t- if you see two of the leaders coming up your garden path, confess quickly. <laughs> because we've been praying the pastor's prayer and God does it as a mercy to your life. He does it to rescue you from making a bigger mess of things than they already are. He does it for the sake of all of us so that when we get on this ministry plane together, when we go forward in this vision together, when we go out to win the lost together, when we go forward to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, nobody's got a bomb in their suitcase like Achan had in his. This affects every one of us. Now, about a week or so ago, we had another prophecy. This was the prophetic word. It said, You've come up against a glass ceiling six or seven times. But you're going to break through that ceiling this time. And the glass ceiling is how big we are as a church. We're going to break through that ceiling this time. I'm not saying it to you. It's come out in a prophetic word. I believe it. But then we get a prophetic word like this, and I doubly believe it, because this is the kind of place that revival starts from. This is the way God starts to turn the church around and bring redemption and healing and cleansing and forgiveness and release and change in people's lives. So, this is how we're going to respond. We're going to encourage every one of you that has a heart to pray and seek the Lord to do that and organize it with your cell leaders so that you're accountable. Pray for an hour. That is what we are doing. That is how serious we are taking this. Pray the blood of Jesus, worship the Lord, and pray through this prophecy. That will take you a good hour. Um, secondly, fasting. Now, Sally and I started the year, and we said we are going to fast and pray the first three days of every month, and we've been doing that, even on holidays. And we did this month. And we're going to suggest to you that you take a day this week, that's three full meals, to fast and pray. Now, if you're not sure which day, can I suggest you Friday? The reason being is we're going to call an extra meeting on Friday for one hour, We're going to do our can you not uh, pray for one hour. We're going to do that on Friday here together as one church. And we're also going to do it tonight, same times, 8 till 9. Tonight at 8 till 9 and Friday 8 till 9, we are going to open the church and pray, as I've said here, more or less, pray through this prophecy and do business with God and sort these things out and come to a place in him of real repentance and real change. Now, if you, as I said, if you want to take Friday as your fast day so that you've got the evening prayer meeting to go up towards, fine. If you want to take another day, fine. Now, at the beginning of the year, we said to you, you know, you are welcome to join us in this three days of prayer and fasting if you want to. Some of you have, a lot of you haven't. Well, I'm not giving you any choice here. I am calling you to fast and pray before the Lord for a day this week. If you don't do it, it is your responsibility. But I, as the leader of this church, am saying to you, we are all going to fast and pray a day this week. That's how serious this is. Now, I don't normally give requirements like that, but today I am because I'm taking this seriously. And I require you to fast and pray a day this week. And if you don't fast and pray, on your own head be it, because this is time to seek the Lord until he comes to reign righteousness on us. Cells, uh, again, if you want to help organize people to fast and pray together at any other times in between now and Friday, if people want to pray in pairs rather than on their own, in their own quiet time, 
any organization the cell leaders want to do to draw people together, great. The more fasting, the more prayer, the more release, the more God can do, the better as far as I'm concerned. So that's tonight, uh, 8 till 9 here, and Friday, 8 till 9. Now, we were going to do training this afternoon. We're not doing that. That's all gone by the boards. This has taken priority over everything. We are taking sin seriously. We are taking the word of the Lord seriously. And we're taking God seriously because he wants to break through. And this is the only way he can do it. This is a solemn and sure thing that we have to give ourselves to at this time. Can you hear the word of the Lord today? Can you hear the word of God today? Now, let me just focus on one last thing before we give you out these uh, bits of paper. There is coming a time when it's going to be like this. A new kind of living. Now, I'm not saying this to you. God is. Real life. Real breakthrough. Real vision, real faith, real prosperity, real multiplication, the real deal. Does anybody want to sign up for any of that real at all? Because I do. I want the real multiplication, the real vision, the real deal, the real breakthrough in my own life personally, in all your lives, in all of us together, and in this city. Listen, our nation is also waiting on us. We are supposed to be at the leading cutting edge according to this. I'm sorry if you want a quiet life. That is not the call of God on this church. God's call on us is clear. We're to be at the forefront, the vanguard, the first soldiers into battle. Whatever this thing is that's about to break, we are first in. Do you hear that? We're actually called to be protectors. As we, the people of God, intercede and pray, we bring protection on our neighborhoods and on our city and on our nation. Did you know that? Did you know right now in Germany, they pray round the clock? Did you know there's an unbroken prayer chain in Germany? Anybody ever wondered why Germany's prospering in economically bad times? Have a think about that. There's an unbroken chain. It's right, isn't it, Peter? There's an unbroken chain of prayer for different parts of Germany. Any time of the day or night, somebody in Germany is praying for the nation throughout the week. That says something, doesn't it? And we've got to be of similar seriousness, similar commitment, and similar heart ourselves and learn from, from their example. This is what we need in our nation. Listen, it's not just you depending on this. It's not just your own walk with God. It is this church, it's this city, and this nation. And the call is to get sharp, get in gear, wake up, and smarten up. Now, what do we do when soldiers go on parade? They stand to attention. So can I invite you to stand to attention? Dave, can you come around and give those bits of paper out while we stood to attention? We've been sat a long time. I'm going to invite the band to come back. I just want to have a little bit of ministry of music before we finish today.
thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now let's just close our eyes a moment and begin to wait on the Lord. And let's just begin in the quietness of our own hearts to make our responses to the Lord. God. We can be like Isaiah. Lord, woe is me. I'm, a, I'm ruined. I'm undone. I, I'm a person of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. Isaiah saw he was also tainted. But God purged him with a coal from the altar. God cleansed his life so that he could be the messenger to the nations. Just take some moments to let the Lord begin to impress on us where we're truly, genuinely at with him. It's time to get real with God. Thank you. Now, right now, if anybody knows in some way that prophecy is spoken to them and you want to begin to respond to God, you, you're welcome to come and kneel at the front. Nobody's going to ask you what it's about. Don't expose anybody. You're just going to get a chance to pray for you particularly. But if you want to make the beginning of a response to the Lord now, you're welcome to come forward. Don't feel trapped in your seat. Kneel in the aisle, kneel at the front if you want to, or come and be before the Lord, stand however you want to present yourself, you're welcome to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, right now we're asking you for a breakthrough in our lives and a breakthrough in our church and a breakthrough in our nation. Father, right now we're asking you heal broken relationships and marriages. God, cleanse us of our sins on the internet. Wash us clean. God, give us a grace, an anointing, a help, a spirit of repentance now to turn away from idols, from infidelity, and from profitless things to turn to you, the living God. Lord, this is our hour. This is our moment. We say amen to your word. Father, on behalf of myself and the leaders here, we say amen. We receive this word as from you. And Lord, together as your people, we say amen. We receive this word. God, this is your solemn word to us. And we will not pitch it to somebody else and say, why aren't they here today? We will receive this word as from you. And Lord, by your grace, we will respond fully to the word of the Lord our God. We will dig out of our tents now before we go to AI. Anything that's down deep and put it on the offering pile and say, here, burn it up, Lord. It's got no place in my life. It's got no place in our lives. Father, we pray today, cleanse us. Give us 
a spirit of repentance and a spirit of burning. Give us a renewed heart after you today. God, cleanse and purify this church so that we may go on to greater things, so that we may not be held back, but that we can be strong and clear of sin and without hypocrisy take the gospel into the world and call men and women to repentance in Christ's name. God, that's our mission and that's our message. Help us now be clear ourselves in Jesus' name. moment we're going to sing something together and draw to a close in a few minutes but the meeting's going to continue at eight o'clock tonight we're going to pick up where we leave off now i encourage you do what we've done change everything to be here change what needs changing cancel that all to that but make it to this altar this place before god